Support for WRFA is brought to you in part by the United Ways of Chautauqua County. United Way is a nonprofit organization that mobilizes the community to help every person and family improve their lives. Donations to the United Way stay 100% locally in our community and get invested in more than 40 community-based programs. These programs help students achieve academic success, families to be self-sufficient and financially stable, and vulnerable households to get their basic and emergency needs met. The United Ways of Chautauqua County, proud supporters of community radio in Jamestown, New York. To learn more, visit uascc.org or call 716-483-1561. We have Assemblyman Andy Cadell on the line with us uh, the day after the Governor Hochul's State of the State address, and we are calling, well, actually, I should say Assemblyman Goodell called into us, uh, and we were hoping to get your reaction to uh, Governor Hochul's address that she gave yesterday, her first uh, as an elected governor of the New York State. Well, on the positive side, uh, I appreciate the fact that the governor highlighted what I consider to be some of the most important issues facing New York State as we, we move forward. So, she highlighted her concern over inflation and the increasing costs of living in New York State. Uh, she highlighted our crime rates and what's going there. A housing crisis was uh, mentioned by the governor, as well as the need for more mental health services. So in terms of acknowledging what the issues are, uh, I appreciate where the governor was coming from. Uh, my concern, however, is that I thought her solutions failed to address the underlining causes of a lot of those issues. So, for example, uh, the governor mentioned their concern over the dramatic increase in energy prices, but didn't acknowledge that New York State itself has turned down every single permit for new uh, generating plants in New York State, which is causing a supply shortage and has blocked every single new natural gas pipeline, again, causing a supply shortage. So her solution was to throw money at the situation by suggesting that we should cap what people pay for their utilities to a percent of, of their income, which, of course, would eliminate any incentive for people to keep their utility bills lower or to keep their thermostats down and would raise taxes on everyone else. And so... You know, I was a little disappointed that she didn't look back and say, how can we reduce the cost of energy coming into New York State? Along the same lines, um, she pledged to block every new uh, natural gas generating plant in New York State, while at the same time saying that she was going to force New York State to go all electric on new building construction. And invest a billion dollars in all-electric vehicles. Well, if you don't build any new electric power plant and the green energy is not keeping up with that kind of demand, what she's really saying is she's going to force New York State to import more and more power from neighboring states or from Canada. And right now, the power that supplies the southern tier comes from a coal plant in Pennsylvania. So the net result is we're going to see much, much higher electric costs, and at the same time, we're going to see more pollution because we're not 
keeping up with the demand with cleaner energy. And you saw that, of course, in Chautauqua County, where you know a, a clean-burning natural gas plant was was shuttered in Dunkirk, while we import more and more coal power from Pennsylvania. Uh, on the on the issue of uh, housing, uh, the governor made a pledge to invest billions of dollars more in affordable housing. Again, didn't acknowledge at all the underlying economic factors that have driven the private sector out of affordable housing in New York State. So, as you know, um, in 2019, the Democrat majority uh, put in new changes in the rental laws that make it extremely difficult for landlords to evict tenants that aren't paying. Then they imposed a two-year moratorium on any evictions. They've imposed rent restrictions on what can be charged. And all that has driven private sector investment out of the, um, the rental business. I mean, no intelligent investor is going to invest in lower income housing when there's a housing uh, eviction moratorium going on and when you can't even cover your cost of the investment. So again, rather than recognizing the economic forces and making it easier for small landlords to invest in their properties and improve them and increase the housing supply, her solution was to raise taxes on all the rest of us or use tax money from all the rest of us to, uh, to subsidize housing and replace the private sector with the public sector, which is not, in my opinion, the right way to go long term. The governor acknowledged um, to her credit that New York State has a horrific problem with out-migration. Indeed, um, more people in total number and as a percentage of population left New York State and relocated elsewhere than any other state in the nation. In fact, according to IRS data, we lost around $8 billion in adjusted gross income. And you see an example of this where uh, Citibank is opening a new headquarters in Texas and adding 4,000 employees in Texas while laying off 3,500 employees in New York. And the reason, of course, is high cost of doing business. While she laments the loss of people and businesses and jobs, at the same time, uh, she doesn't address the underlying factors that cause that. So, uh, you know, it's very, very frustrating to, to hear those that she's acknowledging it, but either doesn't understand or is not willing to address the underlying causes, which are the highest taxes in the nation and uh, the costs that are imposed on businesses. Um, you saw the governor talk about tying the minimum wage to inflation. And at first blush, that seems like it's a good idea. Like, hey, if inflation goes up, 8%, why shouldn't the minimum wage go up 8%? But if you think about it a little bit further and you start thinking about the impact it has on the overall economy of New York, you realize that's a very, very difficult uh, situation for employers. 
because if employers are facing high inflation and the cost of their supplies is going up and the cost of doing business is going up, if you automatically increase the cost of all their entry-level employees, you create a very dangerous cycle where once you get into an inflationary cycle, there's no way out because employers must increase the price of their products in order to pass on the cost to the consumer, and that fuels even more inflation. And the problem that you have is if New York pegs its minimum wage to inflation and Pennsylvania and Ohio don't, those companies that rely on and provide entry-level employment have to consider relocating. They just have to. There's no way around it. And so, you know, at some point I keep hoping that the governor's staff will eventually get somebody who understands the way the capitalist system works, the way the private sector works, and can utilize the strengths that we have in the private sector to make New York great again. New York's, at one point, as you know, was the empire state. It was the most prosperous, largest, fastest-growing state in the nation. And that's because we were the home of entrepreneurs and businesses that were um, utilizing the strength of the private sector to grow and develop. And that's why we had such a vibrant economy and so many people coming to New York because of the jobs. We've now gone to the opposite extreme as reflected in the governor's statements where the Democrat majority and the Democrat governor feel that the solution to every problem is more government spending and not more private sector investment. And so part of our challenge is to break that perception and to recognize that employers are not the enemy of the economy. They are the drivers of the economy. And we need to support employers. We need to support small businesses. And as more employers and more small businesses thrive in New York, it will result in more employment, more families, more income for uh, for the employees. And so it's a different perspective, and I'll continue to advocate on behalf of building our economy here in Chautauqua County and across the state so that everyone is more prosperous. And going back and looking at some of the specific things, you mentioned about you, you were glad that she mentioned some, at least certain topics that are also on your radar as well. And she started out, her address talking specifically about public safety and and bail laws and things like that. And one of the things she has proposed is um, um, doubling the money that they give to the the literal the give program, which benefits uh, different municipalities and state, including here in Chautauqua County. And in terms of what you're seeing in her initial proposals for uh, increasing the number of um, sheriffs uh, academies, or I think it's police academies and uh, uh, monies available for uh, prosecutors. Do you feel that, that what she's proposing is a good start, or do you see any issues with, with what she is proposing so far for public safety? So I, I support her uh, call for more investment in law enforcement. And as you know, a few years ago, we had that uh, defund the police movement, which had horrific consequences uh, across the nation. 
So I think she's absolutely correct that if you want to address crime, you have to have people who are out there doing a great job tracking down and identifying criminals. But that's only the first step. You then have to have prosecutors who are willing to prosecute those crimes, uh, the people who are arrested. In Chautauqua County, we are really, really fortunate that we have a great sheriff and great local police. And we're also really fortunate we have a great district attorney's office that prosecutes these things. But in New York City, you have a district attorney, Alan Bragg, who, who publishes a list of crimes you won't prosecute. You just won't prosecute them at all, including shoplifting and a number of other uh, theft crimes. So getting more people arrested is great, but you got to be able to prosecute them. And then last, <clears throat> it's been recognized, and, and the governor recognizes it, that the catch-and-release non-bail policy that New York has has been a disaster. Uh, you have criminals who are committing crimes the day they were arrested, they're out, that, that afternoon, and they could commit another crime. Interestingly, when the governor announced her different proposals, they were often met with thunderous applause. And so when she said, you know, you shouldn't be incarcerated in jail because you can't make bail because you're poor, she got thunderous applause. When she said, well, we need to tighten the bail laws so that repeat offenders are not roaming the streets, there was absolutely no applause. The Democrat members were like, no, <laughs> we, we don't want to put anyone behind bars. So she's got her work cut out, certainly, in the public safety area. And, and the work is just to convince her own members of her party that public safety is the foundation of a civilized society. And you're seeing this play out as well with the governor's nomination in the uh, Senate for a new chief judge. And you have 14 or 15 Democrat senators who are opposing her nomination primarily because the chief judge, years and years and years ago, her nominee was a, an assistant prosecutor. I mean, it's like you're disqualified from serving as a chief judge of the U.S. of the, of the um the Court of Appeals in New York State, because somewhere in your past, not a criminal conviction, but somewhere in the past was the fact that you were prosecuting criminals. That's the mindset of a significant portion of the Democrats in Albany, and it's a scary situation. I support the governor's effort to increase law enforcement, uh, and of course I'll be supporting her efforts to improve the safety of our community, but she has a very difficult task with the Democrat majorities in both the Assembly and the Senate. Mm -hmm. getting, getting back to policy, uh, one of the big financial investments that she wants to do is uh, this $1 billion of investment in mental health uh, for different things across New York State, include, including um, 1,000 inpatient psychiatric beds, adding 150 beds in state facilities and psych beds as well. Uh, Understanding everything we've gone through that's affected mental health in the last several years with the pandemic otherwise, uh, do you think, uh, you have any opinion on this proposal she is uh, making about mental health? Yeah, I support the governor's uh, focus on improving mental health services across New York State. I think uh, she is right on target. For the last uh, 
10 or 15 years, New York State has shut down literally half dozen mental health facilities all across the state. And it was part of an effort to, um, to eliminate inpatient services and move everything to an outpatient uh, model. And, you know, there certainly was, were abuses of the inpatient model uh, with people institutionalized for a long time and basically warehouse. No doubt there were problems. And the other extreme, uh, focusing almost exclusively on outpatient services, this is the fact that some people really do need those inpatient pets. So I definitely support her initiative in this area. I think it's a much more balanced approach uh, to improving mental health services, and uh, I'll be supporting that effort. I was a little bit concerned when she said that um, she was going to order hospitals to make more inpatient beds. Um, whenever the government talks about ordering people around, that is sometimes a warning that they're not going to pay the cost. They're going to force others to pay for the cost. So we we'll want to look at the details, but the overall concept of increasing mental health services, I think, is a great concept. Right. And uh, I, 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 there is consensus sometimes. Like, And then we, we were talking beforehand that there's also sometimes, and you mentioned it yourself, that where both sides of the party may have similar goals, but how you get there is different. And this seems like, I mean, other than, you know, your concerns about orders and um, for, you know, hospitals and stuff that, that you find some consensus with the governor on these issues. And going, going to a topic where you had concerns and citing, you know, past efforts and past uh, legislation that is causing a current situation, this um, issue with uh, building housing, she wants to you know, potentially see, have this effort to build um, 800,000 new housing units across New York State. And I was looking through this plan, and which uh, she she's calling, and I think it did I write it down, the New York Housing Compact Plan, and it made me think about how upstate and downstate it can be very different, or even you know urban areas versus rural areas. And this plan, she says she wants to have a target goal of increasing housing like by one percent in upstate and three percent downstate. What? Uh, in terms of, I don't, I mean, you're probably just like me getting through and starting to like review everything she's talking about, but what is your feeling about this particular, this New York housing compact plan? Well, the problem that uh, one size fits all mandate, in other words, uh, a mandate that would require Jamestown to increase housing by 1%, for example, is that it fails to recognize the dynamics of the local economy and the local situation. New York has some of the lowest cost housing in the nation. And in large part, that's because we have an older housing stock uh, that was built at a time when there was a lot more manufacturing in Jamestown. And as you know, Jamestown has gone from having over 40,000 residents to now having uh, less than 30,000 residents, which has created uh, a lot of extra housing stock. So Jamestown doesn't need to increase the housing stock that it has by 1%. What Jamestown really needs is assistance in upgrading and renovating the housing stock that it has. A lot of the housing stock uh, is owned by landlords. And um, 
of course, that housing stock suffered uh, a lot of challenges when there was a two-year rent moratorium and landlords had no money coming in to invest in their apartments. So what might work great in New York City and in Long Island really doesn't work well here in Chautauqua County. And so I would hope that as we move forward, the governor uh, can implement more flexibility so that here in Chautauqua County, we can access funds for housing rehabilitation as opposed to, uh, you know, multi-unit apartment buildings. Um, Now, there's also a lot of concern in her proposal that she's suggesting that the state uh, will or should override local zoning. And as you know, local zoning is in place uh, to protect all of us so that, you know, those of us who are living in a nice residential neighborhood won't see our housing values drop if uh, an apartment building is put in next door. And so we have some areas where we have multiple family uh, dwellings are authorized and some areas where it should be single family. And we try to keep the manufacturing and businesses in one area so that it doesn't adversely affect property values. Part of her housing proposal was that the state would override the decision made by all the local zoning authorities, and that includes your mayor and city council and zoning boards of appeals, and authorize multi-dwelling houses anywhere or allow an addition to a house to add a unit regardless of zoning requirements. And those zoning requirements include setback requirements and off-street parking and all that. So very, very concerned that the state may come in with a heavy hand uh, and override local zoning. But the, the concept of investing in housing and improving the value of the housing stock, hopefully in Jamestown area and Chautauqua County, the focus is more on rehabilitation funding and assistance with our housing stock and not just building new apartments. Mm-hmm. Going along with um, renovating houses, and this also gets into another area of concern that has been brought up by yourself and also uh, State Senator Borrello, is a program that she's proposing called the Empower Plus, which I think it it exists maybe right now, but this is a pilot program she's uh, um, proposing that would help low-income families, you know, make changes to their homes that make it more energy efficient and move it from, you know, either using natural gas to electric heating systems or electric appliances. And in terms of, I think it's a, it was a low number of homes that she was proposing to do this pilot on, I think like 20,000 homes. Uh, do you see a program like that po- possibly? And when it comes to the climate act and uh, and the wide variety of changes that that act wants to see happen in New York State. Do you think that this this Empower Plus program is something that at least that could help low-income families and people in New York State get to where the state wants to be with their Climate Act goals? Yes. Um, I support uh, the winter weatherization and efforts to help people uh, improve the energy efficiency of their homes. By the way, that's that's not a new program. Mm-hmm. Uh, Crick has been running a winter weatherization program, I think COI has, for literally decades. Um, you saw the biggest push back in the 1970s when we had that energy crisis. Uh, but clearly, uh, helping people upgrade their home, upgrade the efficiency of their home, adding more insulation, ha- adding 
high-efficiency appliances. I think that's a good long-term investment, and uh, helping people achieve that will pay long-term dividends. Um, forcing people to convert their homes from natural gas to electric when at the same time the state is blocking any new electrical generating capacity, in my opinion, is a very, very serious mistake. Uh, right now, uh, the cost of converting a typical residential house to all electric is twenty to $30,000, which is well beyond what most people can afford. And, of course, <clears throat> if you dramatically increase the demand for electricity while at the same time blocking any new electric generating plants, through the law of supply and demand, you're going to see electric prices just spike. Uh, so, you know, we need a more thoughtful, comprehensive, long-term plan to reduce the cost of energy, but certainly improving energy efficiency of existing homes is a smart uh, component of a long-term strategy. This isn't something that Governor Hochul brought up in her address, but you've talked about, we talked about the Climate Act, we've talked about, you know, the um, going to the electrification of, I guess, everything. And has anyone, has it been proposed at any time by go governors in the past or anybody in the state legislature um, in, you know, bringing more mass transportation to New York State, in, especially in upstate? Uh, well, the governor spent a lot of time in her state of state addressing the financial woes of the MTA, which is a mass transit authority in New York City, which receives a multi-billion dollar subsidy from New York State and is still facing a huge shortfall. And um, I think by most people's evaluation, the MTA is a poster child of gross mismanagement and inefficiency followed only by the New York City Housing Authority, NYCHA. But uh, uh, mass transit is a much more difficult issue when you go out into the rural areas. As you know, we have carts right now that services the Jamestown area and and the Dunkirk-Fredonia area and, and to some extent serves the rest of the county. But... Um, the difficulties of, of providing mass transit in a rural area often render it marginally efficient. You just don't have the volume of people going in the same location with enough buses or connections to make it uh, practical. Um, when I was county executive, I used to take carts to and from uh, Mayville. It worked fine for me because it got me there in the morning and there was a second bus or a it took me home, but if um, but if you didn't live on a route, it it was much more difficult. Good, good to know, yeah, because that's something I've heard people talk about. It's like, well, we talk about electrification and you know changing over to electric cars, but you know how do, how what about other options? So, uh, you know, we we heard a lot about what is on Governor Hochul's agenda for this year, but I imagine you have your own list as well of things that you're hoping to accomplish this legislative session. And I'm curious if you can share some of what you hope to get done this year. Sure. So uh, one of my top legislative priorities is to urge the state legislature and Governor Hochul to move to take realistic steps to reduce the cost of energy. And 
uh, in particular, to open up the local development of low-cost, clean-burning natural gas. And we're blessed in the southern tier to have a large amount of natural gas. And when they first started doing high-volume hydrofracking, there were some environmental issues uh, that were experienced in other states. They put in a moratorium in New York. The other states have figured out how to do it safely. We can do it safely as well. We can do it in an environmentally responsible manner. And um, so I want to see us opening up natural gas exploration in the southern tier. That would result in lower natural gas prices for everyone here. Obviously, as part of that strategy, we need to stop this, uh, in my opinion, uh, financially insane approach of trying to ban natural gas. Uh, natural gas is a clean effective way to heat our homes and to help our businesses. So developing lower cost energy, certainly a priority for me. Uh, Senator Brello, on a second issue, Senator Brello and I have introduced legislation to modify the, uh, the elimination of bail. And our proposal would allow judges to, again, have discretion and allow the judges to consider whether the uh, uh, defendant has been a repeat offender and whether or not the defendant is dangerous in the community. Um, we also have protections to make sure that people wouldn't unnecessarily be uh, penalized and sit in jail simply because they can't raise money. So we have legislation to deal with that crime issue. We need to look as well at making the discovery provisions and the law enforcement provisions much more reasonable. So that's how we're trying to deal with public safety. Um, a personal passion of mine for a long time, which is the third issue that I'm really focusing on, has been to help people in poverty break out of poverty and become successful. So I'm working now, in fact, last night around 10 o'clock, I sent out a, a detailed outline on how we can move and create a pathway to prosperity for those who are in poverty. And um, just a, an I, some of the ideas, uh, a lot of people don't realize it unless they're getting welfare, that a lot of our welfare benefits end abruptly when you reach a certain income level. And so when you come close to that income level, if you earn an extra dollar and you go over that threshold, you lose all your benefits. And then as a result, you're trapped because you can't afford to make more money. It's a fiscal cliff. And so you know, we need to address the fiscal cliff. We need to make it possible for people to be able to continue to earn a little bit more money without losing an overwhelming amount of benefits. Um, in addition, uh, we need to look at how do we help people acquire the skills they need in order to be successful. And so I'm looking at proposals to uh, incentivize and increase high school attendance. And the best teacher in the world is completely ineffective if the student is not there. So uh, we have legislation as well that says if you're an able-bodied individual and, uh, and you apply for cash welfare, you have to sign back up for GED because we recognize that over 90% of the jobs require at least the GED. And what we don't want is a situation where you can drop out of school, 
And the taxpayers will support you the rest of your life. Uh, another um, area of focus is improving uh, apprenticeship programs. We have some great ones in Jamestown. I'd love to see them expanded. Uh, job training. And so all this is focused on how do we make it easier for people to leave welfare and to achieve their dreams of being more self-sufficient and more prosperous. So that's a, one of my primary initiatives moving forward in the next couple of years. That's it. That those are quite, uh, even though it's just three items, those are, those are three big items. And I imagine that, you know, as we'll be talking again soon when uh, uh, Governor Hochul brings out her budget proposal for this year. But is there anything else that you would like to add before we sign off for today? <laughs> well, you know, that's a very dangerous question since uh, it was reported last year that I spoke over 300,000 words on the floor of the Assembly. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but with that in mind, it is always great to talk with you. And um, uh, we're very, very fortunate here in Chautauqua County that we have a group of uh, political leaders that work well on a bipartisan basis. Uh, locally, we're working very well with Dunkirk Mayor Rosas and Brooks Hospital to try to move that project forward. Um, I have a number of legislative initiatives that I'm pushing at the request of Mayor Sundquist. And, um, and of course, we have a, a great, great working relationship uh, between Senator Brello and I and uh, our county executive, P.J. Wendell. So um, the people in Chautauqua County ought to be glad to know that we have a team working on the most important issues facing our residents as we go forward in 2023. Assemblyman Goodell, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to share some ideas.